It's Monday, March 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Fool.com, Taylor Muckerman, and from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger. Happy Monday, gents. Hey. You too. It's not just happy Monday. It's happy birthday to the bull market. That's right. Five Ooh. years ago today. We will get into On that. On a roll. Yes. We'll, we'll get into that. We'll dip into the Fool mailbag. But let's start with McDonald's. Global same-store sales from McDonald's down 0.3%. And normally... Not a big deal. It's not a big dip. It's not a big deal. And yet, sales were down in January as well. It's the first time, Taylor, in 11 years that they've had negative comps in back-to-back months. Yep. And I increasingly, and I think I said this to you this morning, I increasingly look at McDonald's and I just wonder, what is the thesis for buying this stock today? Longer breakfast hours? I'm not too sure. That's what they're talking about, (laughs) trying to boost that sales segment. Um, But even more competition from Taco Bell now, apparently, which is kind of strange to me. But hey, uh, more power to them. They're the only brand that's doing well for Yum right now. So, But back to McDonald's. Um, Yeah, U.S. and Asia still struggling, uh, surprisingly becoming more of a European brand. Um, So that caught me off guard to see the last few years, Europe really growing for this company, uh, spending more money there. Um, so they blamed cold weather, but I don't see how a fast food restaurant with the drive-through can really blame bad <laughs> weather uh, on slow sales. Airlines, yes. Auto sales, yes. But uh, McDonald's blaming it on bad weather seems like a slight cop-out to me. Yeah, it is apples and oranges, but I, I should point out that Delta Airlines in February, something they had some great revenue number for customers, and it was much higher than anyone thought, and that was on top of the fact that they had canceled 8,000 flights. Right. So, and, McDonald's isn't canceling 8,000 orders and, because of that weather. And just last week, we had Costco reporting earnings. They don't mention weather whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Manny, when you look at this company, what do you see? I, I, I see trouble because, I mean, I looked at, I was surprised to see this. I looked at McDonald's in over the last two years, the stock price has gone nowhere. And then this is in a market where, you know, the stock market over that span is up 40%. And McDonald's has gone nowhere. Um, and yeah, I mean, it speaks to everything Taylor was talking about. But, uh, you know, surprising to see that the, and I know Japan is, is kind of an older market for them, but, you know, Asia, Middle East, Africa down 2.6%. I mean, if you're going to grow anywhere, you're probably going to grow <laughs> in those markets. It. And yet that was, you know, they saw their worst performance there. Um, in Europe, of course, was up a little bit. But uh, this, yeah, it doesn't look good to me. I just think there's a lot, there's a lot of competition in the space. I know they're doing some things to try to streamline their menu or add new options. But let's face it, I haven't been to McDonald's in a long time. But the menu's huge. It's overloaded. There's just so many things. They're, going to, they're trying to get towards healthier food or not. Beef prices are higher. There's just a lot of challenges facing the company. I'm not sure what McDonald's is all about these days. Speaking of healthier items, their wraps are just about the same caloric content or more than the Big Mac. So I don't really know what they're going with with that. I look at this company and I think that they are in some ways trapped. Because, to be fair, they've been offering salads for more than 20 years. And you, when they break out the sales, salads make up something like 2%, mm. if that, of mm-hmm. overall sales. One of their executives gave a speech recently and mentioned, and I think part of this was driven by people looking at chains like Five Guys and Chipotle and saying, well, look, part of their success, part of their growth is customized menus. You can go into Five Guys, get the burger exactly how you want it, same for Mm. Chipotle. And and this guy's name is escaping me, but this executive for McDonald's talked about how they are testing – in Laguna Niguel, California, which is a city of about 65,000 people between Los Angeles 
and San Diego. Yes, I looked that up. I don't I was, have that information. I was going to say, your geography skills are, are on. <laughs> my geography skills are horrible, but I did look <laughs> this up ahead of time. But they're testing it in this one city in Southern California, a build-your-own-burger concept. And if that works, they're going to expand it to other locations in Southern California. And to go back to my thinking that they are trapped, I don't know that this can work for them. On, on the one hand... Yeah. Great that they're trying stuff, and they've historically always tried new things, new menu items, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. They're not averse to trying new things. But let's say it works. Can McDonald's just up and completely change their concept? They didn't get to be as big as they are by offering customized menu. They got to be as big as they are by saying, nope, this is the menu. Right. Exactly. I think it would, it, they would have to do a complete rebranding. I mean, it, they, this would have to be a new brand. I feel like this would have to be a new concept completely for them. I don't think they could do this, integrate this into the existing McDonald's framework. It's, all, it's almost as if like Apple said, you know what? Hey, we're going to offer customized iPhones now. We're going to go Dell's route and you can build your own iPhone. Well, it just, that's, not, that's not what Apple's about and, and it's not what McDonald's is about. This is, that would be strange. Yeah, if you look at a Chipotle, they have two registers with that whole buffet line in front. McDonald's whole countertop is registered. So they would have to, yeah, the store oh, would have to be oh completely torn up if they're going to sit there and let you walk down and say lettuce, Swiss cheese, mustard, and some guacamole. Italian seasoning. Yeah, exactly. I mean. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't see how that's going to work out. It makes sense. Somebody could probably do that. Chipotle is doing it with pizza. Um, uh, they have the Shop House Asian noodle-style bar, and then Kava around this area has the Greek food that they're doing those, those buffet lines with. So it could work for burgers, but I don't think McDonald's is going to be the company that does it. Well, but to Maddie's point, if it works, it would almost have to be a completely yeah. separate concept. Yeah, you would have to imagine so, yeah. You can always email us, radio at fool.com is our email address. And on the one in a million chance that there is someone in Laguna, Niguel, California <laughs> listening, just stop by a local McDonald's. See, test out the build, a, build your own burger Let concept. Know. Let us yeah. know. Radio at fool.com. Got an email from Doug Clark in Wyoming. Uh, Hi, guys. Love the show. I'd love to hear an analysis of master limited partnership stocks. I don't hear you talk about them much on the show, specifically pipelines. It seems like if you want to build a portfolio, reinvesting dividends uh, with MLPs should be at least a part of it. Uh, I'm looking at Lynn Energy, Noble Corp, Enterprise Product uh, Partners, among others. What do you think? We don't. Uh, he's absolutely right. We don't talk about MLPs all that much. But uh, since you're in the room, Taylor, yeah, uh, thank and, goodness. I'll take a stab at and it. You're an energy guy. Yeah. Um, he listed some great names here. Uh, one thing you do need to know about um, MLPs is. It's not the typical dividend payment. You have to have file a K-1 tax form when you get these distributions because you're considered a limited partner. The companies aren't taxed at the dividend level, so the government wants to get its get its action. So you're taxed on an individual level uh, for those dividends. Um, and you have to file like a, a separate form, like I mentioned. But um, and to highlight Lynn Energy. It's a producer MLP, so it's not a pipeline. They're going out uh, acquiring leaseholds around the country and and producing oil mostly with some natural gas in there too. Um, so that's a completely different MLP. But they're doing a great job with what they've got going on. Uh, one of the two of the names that I think he's really should key in on. You look at uh, Kinder Morgan Energy Partners, probably the most diverse of the group that he mentioned, the largest natural gas transporter in the country, with a very favorable. Uh, uh, 
management structure. They've got good parent company, so they've got some good assets that they can have dropped down to them. They just now started moving into oil shipments uh, abroad with the Jones Act. And um, then you look at Energy Transfer Partners. It has a nice portfolio of refined products, so that's going to be big here in America with the crude oil production that you've seen. Refined products are going to need to be transported because those can be exported rather than crude oil. So you're going to look at those, those products being transported a lot more throughout the country. I actually personally own a subsidiary of them, Sunoco Logistics, uh, East Coast-based, transports refined products from the Gulf up to the Northeast. So um, I like the MLP space, but you got to pay attention because not all companies in this sector are uh, are created equal. You look at Boardwalk Pipeline Partners cut their distribution by 80% a couple weeks ago. So you really need to focus in. The due diligence needs to be there. Stock got whacked that Yeah, day, they did. So the, mm. div- the distribution was down 80%, and the company itself was almost cut in half uh, in the market. So um, you need to look at... Where their their regions are, because Boardwalk is just in a terrible region for pipelines right now. They're trying to expand. Luckily, they have a good general partner, um, but that's something you need to pay attention to. Here's where you lost me. Yeah, you lost me at the additional paperwork right at the beginning. Right. Just just <laughs> so what what is the what am I getting as an inv- I, I I don't have any MLPs in my portfolio. Sure. So if I'm going to be doing the extra paperwork on the taxes, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. What is the benefit to being in an MLP as opposed to just a, a straight-up energy stock? So I don't know the exact year, but the government granted these types of companies the ability to not pay uh, taxes, essentially. And so they're able to produce high yields by giving out the majority of their free cash flow to unit holders, is what you're called. You're not a shareholder, you're a unit holder. So basically, they have a low tax structure, and you're you're looking at a lot of these companies providing six, seven, up to you know double-digit yields on an annual basis. So that's the advantage here, is they're not taxed on, on the majority of their earnings, but they have to, they have to pay those out. So um, growth isn't what you're looking for here, pr- predominantly. A lot of these companies are fee-based income structures, so you have the toll road method, which is very very safe for the most part. But I have to worry long term, all these companies are trying to build out more pipelines. And once growth in natural gas and oil starts to subside here in the United States, what are they going to do with these assets? I just don't know. And I have, I have a question. You know, I know, obviously, investors, I don't own any MLPs either, but investors I know are attracted to them because of the high mm-hmm, yields right. that generally they come with. But not not all, I think not all of those dividends are treated as common, ordinary, or qualified dividends. Mm-hmm. In other words, I think even if you have it in the IRA sometimes, you actually do have to pay taxes on some portion of those dividends. Is that is that right? Or am I Yeah, you off? as the unit holder, dude, the company doesn't. So the, the, the payout can be higher from the company, but mm-hmm. you yourself have to then pay taxes on those dividends. Um, whether or not it's taxed more highly, I'm not 100% sure about that. Okay. As I mentioned at the top, today is the five-year anniversary of the start of the bull market. It was this day in 2009. The market, uh, the S&P 500 hit an uh, intraday low of 666. Read into that whatever you want. <laughs> it's always so bizarre. And it has been not a straight line up from there, but it has been a steady line up from there. And there are a number of things we can talk about here. First, it's just been a great run. Second, let me share just a little bit of historical context, which is that since 1945, there have been, excluding this current bull market, there have been 11 bull markets in the last 60 years, and only three of them have extended to a sixth year. So Mm. history would suggest that the bull market's going to end at some point this year. Mm. Uh, Someone who perhaps shares that opinion, is Seth Klarman, the 
hedge fund manager, and I'll just read from this article uh, found this morning, and you pointed this out to me, Maddie. One of the world's most respected investors has raised the alarm over a looming asset price bubble, calling out, quote, nosebleed valuations in technology shares like Netflix and Tesla Motors, and warning of the potential for a brutal correction across financial markets. Now, to be fair, other people have looked at Tesla Motors and said, well, given the run that it's had, our colleague Alex Scherer recently said after their most recent earnings, I think this stock is a hold now. I don't think this is a run out and buy right now. I think this is a hold now. Um, Klarman is obviously going a step further. And he mentioned those two. There are plenty of other stocks you can, could include in that. Uh, but Matty, mm. Klarman is someone you have a great deal of respect for. Oh, I do. Um, and I think he's, he's very underfollowed, um, undeservedly so. Um, he's, he's got a tremendous track record, as you said. He's I mean, I think if I have the numbers right, in the 30 years that he's run the Baupass Group, it's up something like 18% a year. But he's done that with by whole every year. Usually, on average, holds about 20 to 30 percent or more in cash, and yet he has this remarkable track record. Um, so he's a guy I, I, I respect, and I think a lot of investors should. And I say, you know, there's been a lot of shots across the bow for this for this bull market that we've had. This is one you want to pay attention to. Now, I think Seth Klarman, like a lot of investors, might be early in this. Um, one one uh, thing I read uh, last week, which just blew my mind, was you know in January 1999, the Nasdaq was trading for 90 times earnings in January 1999, and you had so many pundits out there, respected investors out there, saying this is absurd. You, you, there's no way you could buy the market. There's, you've got to sell or even short. Yet the Nasdaq went up 130% over the next 15 months to, before it finally cracked in March 2000. So it, it's really hard to time. No one can time it. Um, that said, when someone like Seth Klarman says, hey, things are, things are getting a little spiffy um, across, <laughs> across the market, it, I would pay attention. He's probably early because I still, in my, in my view, there's a lot of cash on the sidelines. There are a lot of mom and pop investors who haven't gotten back into this market who are thinking about getting back in. Um, and, and really, in my view, you know, he points out Netflix and Tesla. I think that's a good point because there are certain segments of this market that are just in the stratosphere, um, and sometimes deservedly so. But so, but there are also pockets of the market that don't look expensive to me that still look compelling. Um, so I would say it's not it's not fair to say there's this a broad based overvaluation in the market. It's it, there are certainly certain sectors right now that look very expensive. Yeah, just one other thing about Klarman. He is not someone who seeks the public eye. He does not do a lot of publicity. This was a letter he sent to shareholders. This is not Carl Icahn calling, tweeting, and and calling into CNBC in the middle of the day. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people think, you know, 2014 does have some legs. I found this handy little chart that Business Insider and Barron's kind of collaborated on. Has 18 outlooks for the S&P to close in 2014. And 17 are above where we're currently at right now. Um, the mm-hmm. highest is 2100. That's from Stephen Auth from Federated, Federated Investors. Um, then you have, you know, you've got a few of them, 2014 and 2014. So a lot of these are above the 2000 mark. We're currently around 1868, 1870 right now. So um, a lot of big banks and, and analysts there are pretty bullish on the market right now. And especially, you know, it is a global market, but I think if you had to rely on America alone, I think that there is some positive movement still to, still to come. Um, but unfortunately, we're reliant on on uh, other nations as well. So, 
if there's pullbacks there, it could slow down the market. But America's, I think it's in a great place right now. Yeah. And you have to remember, uh, bull markets can go on for a long time. I mean, I know we're, we're a little overdue here for a correction or, or some kind of bear market. But if you look at from the end of 1987 to the year 2000, so a span of 13 years, roughly, there were two only two corrections of 10% or more in that entire 13-year span. So if you're if you have a long enough time horizon and you don't need you know you're investing cash for the long term really you you shouldn't be in thinking or going to sleep at night thinking i got to sell or i got to i got to find a way to hedge my my portfolio you, it's it's Bull markets can last a very long time, and the market does go up over time. I think when you see a market like this, maybe you start to pay attention more to individual stocks and, and trying to separate from the herd a little bit because a lot of stocks have run up, so maybe you need to pay a little bit more attention to that, or just buy the broad market um, if, you, if you're not confident in that. But uh, there are some arguably overpriced stocks out there, but for the most part, a lot of growth, I think, is still is still behind us. There are at least a handful of stocks in the S&P 500 that are not overpriced, and that is because <laughs> during this five-year run- Somehow. 488 stocks in the S&P 500 rose, and yet 12 managed to fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of that we were talking about this earlier. Two of them uh, in the retail space, Avon and Staples. Every company has a bad quarter. Every stock has a bad year. Five years? How, how do you sit out? How do you get to the point where you are as big as you are that you're earning a place in the S&P 500? Is it management? Like, who gets the blame for this? Because I'm not a shareholder of, of either of those stocks. Yeah. But I think I would just be furious at management because how bad do you have to screw up to miss out on five consecutive years of a bull market? True. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's rough, especially, you know, the market's up 150% over the last five years and, and you have a, you've managed a stock that's down. Uh, Staples, we know, I mean, the story there, of course, is, is very secular in the, in the sense that, you know, people just aren't going to office retail stores that much. They're not buying as much ink and paper. It's the world's changed a little bit for a company like Staples. But I look at one on the list, Newmont Mining Corp., one of the world's largest gold miners. It's down 37% over the last five years. That was surprising to me only because gold, if you look at least from 2008 to 2011, gold tripled if I if I think I have my numbers right. And yet Newmont's down 37%. I mean, there to me is like, wow. You had the, the your main commodities behind you, your business is behind you, and yet you still you still massively underperform the market and, and, were, and yeah. were negative. That that one stands out to me. But there's lots, also some utility names on the list that have done poorly. Utilities have been a, a tough place to be. Had a lot of have had to have a lot of capital invested back into them. Some offshore drillers, but yeah, if you any company that's underperformed in five year span, there's some kind of management issue, I believe, or there's a secular. A headwind to the business, especially sure. with some of the sizes of these companies. Like you're huge, you have scale to work with, and you still missed out. Right, and I, I forget the name of it, but one, I know that one of these twelve stocks, there was a spinoff involved. Abbott Labs, right? It's 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 it shows it being down, but it's it's actually not. It's it's actually spun off about half its business, okay. so it's not like an unfair unfair number. Where are you guys looking over the next couple of years, Maddie? You mentioned you still see value in the market, whether it's particular industries or particular companies. Even if it's a company that you look at and you're just sort of scratching your head saying, they really seem to be operating well. I don't know why the stock isn't responding. And and just to to add a name to that, I hear that frequently about Activision Blizzard, Mm -hmm. that it's a company that really is successful at putting out products that people want and the stock, for at least a good stretch of time, wasn't really responding. I think that's a great example. Um, Activision, uh, at a, on a business level, has never disappointed. I mean, well, has largely not disappointed over the last five years, but its stock has struggled. Uh, and there are many examples of that. And there, there's an example, I think, of 
there was just kind of a secular money rotation out of vi- the video game space. It had been so hot for so many years, and all of a sudden, people said, "You know what? We're not video games aren't as exciting to us." The rise of social and mobile games kind of impede that. But Activision's had a nice run lately, and it's an example of a company that I would look at and say, "No, it's not. It's not expensive. Um, they've got a lot of great things coming for them, and a lot of things in the pipeline." Other areas of the market, I think energy, um, we talked a little bit about that in this segment. I mean, it's energy is a space where I do think there's still a lot of value. And for whatever reason, um, maybe since the 2008 when oil, oil and gas prices have come down a lot, it, that sector has kind of underperformed. But that's, I think there are a lot of bargains in that space. Yeah, the, if you look at uh, all the sectors on a PE ratio, which a lot of uh, investors like to take a look at, energy is really cheap right now, um, not just in the U.S., but globally. So if you want to look at some uh, energy companies outside of the U.S., that's that's also a great notion because we've hit the boom in the United States for oil and natural gas production. Other countries are just chomping at the bit to use our technology to then develop their shale assets. Let's look at China and Argentina and uh, Russia, maybe if they can ever get their act together uh, outside of the, the geopolitical risk spectrum. But um, yeah, energy is great. And manufacturing, I think, in the United States, if you have some U.S. operations, we're becoming a lot more competitive. So I think, and that's a lot to do with the energy boom. So I think you have, uh, you have to look at some companies that are reshoring a lot of their manufacturing because we are more competitive uh, versus China and Mexico than we were five, 10 years ago. So that'll provide some logistical advantages that I think we could really take advantage of. And emerging markets too, just to follow on with Taylor's point, emerging markets have really underperformed oh, yeah. in recent yeah, years. And so, you know, not making a call here, but I, I think if you were looking for a place where there might be some bargains or some compelling opportunities, emerging markets might be the place to be. All right, Matt Argusinger, Taylor Markman. Guys, thanks for being here. Mm-hmm. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.